0: Our first message this afternoon is from Mr. Reg Noland. It is entitled, No Innocent Prairie Dog. Reg. Well, it's a bright and sunny day. Groundhog saw his shadow. Guess what? We've got six more weeks of winter, according to the tradition. Now, does that make sense to you? doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. So what I decided to do is to go and investigate this. Back in December, last quarter, before the current speaking schedule came out, I had planned for my next message to be on the roots of sin. Then I get the speaking schedule and discover I have been assigned a message for today, February 2nd, Groundhog Day, it was just too topical to resist. I couldn't or wouldn't, um, resist of shining the bright light of truth on this presumably innocent uh, prairie dog to expose the origins of this holiday. Now, unless we are former Wiccans that's witchcraft people, or um, satanic worshippers, or this sort of thing. Actually, they're naturalistic religions, but that's a whole other thing. Or former Roman Catholics, particularly Irish Catholics. Uh, I doubt that we put much importance or much significance on this quaint custom of letting Apostle Phil predict the weather for the next six weeks. However, Phil hides much more than his eyes under the exposing light of truth. For Groundhog's Day is a relatively recent name for this holiday. Formerly, it was known as Candlemas, not to be confused with the European heavy metal group, that's a whole other different group. Okay, there are the Feast of St. Bridget, Brigid's Day, Breda's Day, Imbolc or Imbolek, or on the Wheel of Heaven, this is one of the four major corner points. Cross-corner points, as they're called, on the eight high Sabbaths on the Wiccan or Satanic calendar. Did you hear that? Eight high Sabbaths. Apparently, they can't count either. Because Sabbath means seventh. And if they've got eight of them, what's, what's with the extra Sabbath? Okay. Uh, it is one of the four major corner points on the eight high Sabbaths of the Wiccan calendar or natural legend, which Catholicism has assimilated. I think of Catholicism as the religious equivalent of Star Trek's Borg. (laughs) They assimilate everything, you will be assimilated, resistance is futile, and your distinctiveness will be added to the collective, so it becomes one great religious amalgam as a result of that. Okay, adding the distinctiveness to the collective amalgam of that is the world's religion. But it retains many of the rituals, but clothing, clothing it in the innocent cloak of a groundhog tradition. In the Great Plains, in the southern Great Plains, we have adopted the prairie dog as our local equivalent for the groundhog. While they are not quite the same genus or species, they do belong to the same family, and they're all within the family of Rodentia. However, local adoption of the animal, weather forecaster for this date, the prognosticator, um, is not without precedent. Indeed, the groundhog himself is a local adaptation of the tradition or an adoption of a local animal, the groundhog, established by the German Dutch settlers in southeastern Pennsylvania, who saw the same intelligence in the groundhog as, the Europe, as in his European counterparts. There were two principal European counterparts, and that were the hedgehog, but hedgehogs aren't native to America, so they picked up the groundhog instead, and the weasel There's another critter here. So, what I'm doing today is I've gone through, done all the research on this and found out what the origin of the thing is, my time is over with, I think you'll discover groundhog is not quite so innocent as he may appear to be. They're cute little critters though, aren't they? Here's a prairie dog. Look at our prairie dog. Uh, Burring rodents, native to the grasslands of uh, North America. There are five different species here in the southern United States. Uh, they're t- a type of ground squirrel, squirrel. They're found in the United States, Canada, Mexico. and Mexico they are found uh, primarily in the northern states that lie at the southern ends of the Great Plains. There's your scientific classification. Notice class is mammal. They're rodent members of the rodent. There's sub, sub there. That much of it stays the same, but they differ with the family and the genus. Let's see about the groundhog now. Here's our groundhog, see? Uh, it's also known as a woodchuck, so if you ever wonder why much a woodchuck can chuck, and I'm not talking about Mr. Lee over here, okay? <clears throat> A groundhog is also known as a woodchuck or a whistle pig. Some places it's known as a, a land beaver. It's a rodent of the same family as is our uh, prairie dog. It belongs to a large group of ground squirrel, squirrels. They're uh, yellow-bellied, hoary um, mammoths. And uh, they live in, they're a lowland creature, widely distributed out through North America, common in the eastern. Uh, Northeastern and south, uh, Central U.S. states. Groundhogs are found as far north as Alaska. Their habitat extends to the southeast to Georgia. But as I said, the uh, groundhog was not the original prognosticator. In Europe, the uh, critter was the hedgehog. Notice this critter doesn't look much like the groundhog at all. They're in the they're, they only go. Uh, they're only the same up into the class but then they differ considerably after it. There are five different genera of hedgehog and then there are 17 different species within that. So it's a considerable different creature, but as I said, there are no hedgehogs native to North America, so when the Dutch, German-Dutch settlers of southeastern Pennsylvania came over here, they found a replacement. And the, and the groundhog seemed very wise. Now there's another replacement. There is a uh, the weasel. Notice how it stands on its hind legs, a lot like the prairie dog does. And they also are mammalia, but they, notice their order is carnivora. So they eat other animals, whereas the others are vegetarian. Or in the way. true weasels belong to that one. <coughs> They're noted for long, slender bodies, short necks. Um, in their bodies and necks, short legs, round uh, ears, and you can see a weasel popping its head out of its hole just like the uh, groundhog would, right? Interestingly enough, there are other precedents. Here's the history, if you will, the family tree of the uh, groundhog. Prairie dogs of the Great Plains are now what we use, but they're also, that comes from the tradition of the groundhogs of Pennsylvania. They inherited it from the European hedgehogs and the badgers. Um, that came from the European weasels. Now look at this one. That comes from Brigitte's serpent. Anyone beginning to get apprehensive? Because the serpent would also pop its head out of its hole in the winter to test the air, to see whether or not spring was coming yet. Okay. Groundhog is an idol. In uh, the U.S., one of the uh, groundhogs is named Puzzletowney Phil, after his name in Puzzletowney, Pennsylvania. It is a multi-day, multiple a day event extending from late January to early Fe- February. In Canada, the main groundhog is named Wharton Willie, after his home in Wharton, Ontario. This is Wharton Willie. This is the statue of Wharton Willie. The groundhog is, uh, uh, could be an idol. Actually, there was a cult of groundhog worshippers in ancient war- Rome, but it went underground, literally. <laughs> <laughs> it went underground and didn't emerge until much, much later. Okay, the origins of uh, Groundhog's Day celebration be- began as a um, uh, Pennsylvania German custom in Southeast Pennsylvania in the 18th, 19th century, has its origin in ancient European weather lore. A badger or a sacred bear is a procre, prognosticator as opposed to the groundhog. It bears similarities to the pagan festival of Imbolc, And then we're going to talk about that one in detail. Uh, the second turning point on the Celtic calendar, which is celebrated February 1st or February 2nd, and also involves weather prognostication and to uh, St. S- Swinthorns Day in July. The Roman legions, during the conquest of the northern country, northern Europe, um, supposedly brought this tradition to the Teutons, the story that the Roman soldier had a weasel or uh, here that he used to predict the, we- uh, the weather, and that's where the story, the, how it got transported in. Uh, Teutons are German, who uh, picked it up and concluded that if the sun made an appearance on Candlemas Day, which is the Roman Christianized. Version of M. Um, uh, Block. An animal such as the hedgehog would cast a shadow, thus predicting six more weeks of bad weather, which they interpolated, interpolated as the length of the second winter. The second winter. So notice, if it casts a shadow, there's six more weeks of winter. Now, to my way of thinking, if it casts a shadow, it tells you that it's sunny outside and winter ought to be over. Doesn't that make sense? So, what's the story behind this? Why would casting a shadow be six more weeks of winter instead of saying winter's over? What, he, uh, the story says that he got, uh, he's frightened of his own shadow and runs back in the hole. But let's see what happens. Pennsylvania's earliest settlers were German. They found groundhogs to be in profusion in many parts of the state. They determined the groundhog, resembling the European hedgehog, was a most intelligent animal and sensible animal, and therefore decided that if the sun did appear on February 2nd, so a, such a wise animal would, as the groundhog would see its shadow and hurry back underground for six more weeks of the winter. So it's going to avoid it for some reason. Don't. This is a picture of a groundhog handler. They have special handlers. And this is a picture of Here. okay. The shadow superstition. This is a more reasonable explanation of what the shadow is. One source of the legend begins in the British Isles. The legend surrounding ancient Celtic Calique. A Kalik is an older, wiser woman. Some sources describe her as a pagan goddess Brigitte, which we'll talk about in more detail here, or others as a blue hag. The Kalik was the keeper of winter, and she was she who decided how long it would last. February 2nd, that's a halfway point between the winter solstice and the spring equinox, and was a pagan holiday of Imbolc. Embalk uh, it's, it's pronounced either you Embalk know, or Embalak. Uh, it was also the day that the Khalid was supposed to decide how much longer the winter would last. If she woke up here's the here's the reason why the sun. If she woke up on Emlok, she would make sure that the weather was bright and sunny so she could go out and gather enough firewood for the rest of the winter. But if it was cloudy or if it was cloudy and or she slept in, then she would oversleep and her firewood would run out and she'd have to make winter short. Try, go figure, that's the, that's the tradition behind it. Now, here's an interesting thing, it wasn't originally, as I said, a hedgehog or even a weasel that was there, it was originally a serpent. Although Mbok isn't even mentioned in non-Gaelic Celtic tradition, it is still a time rich in folklore and history. According to the Carmina Galilica, the Celts celebrated an early version of Groundhog Day on Imbach II, only with the serpent singing the song. I'm not going to do the Celtic. Um, The serpent will come from the hole on the brown day of the bride, that's rigged, though there may be three feet of snow on the surface of the ground. So it's the serpent that sticks his head out of the hole and tests the weather and determines whether there's going to be six more weeks of winter. Huh. Seen this before? Has anyone ever seen this symbol? This is the wheel of heaven. These are the eight high days on the satanic calendar, on the Wiccan calendar. Now, I'm going to just first describe them briefly, uh, but the one I'm going to focus on, obviously, is envelope. Yule, of course, you know him as a uh, winter solstice and all the things that go along with it. It occurs um, between the 20th and the 22nd of December, usually around the 21st. That's a symbol of rebirth. rejuvenation, it's a resurrection theme. And block, as will turn out, is the first of the fertility symbols, and we'll go into more detail on that one. Ostara is the vernal equinox, the spring equinox, occurs around the 19th to the 21st of March. Does that word ostara look kind of familiar? Should. Kind of reminds you of the word Easter, or Ishtar, Astarte, Astare. Huh. Okay, Beltane is May 1st, and that is the grand and glorious, most uh, lascivious of all of the different kinds of festivals. This is a fertility festival par excellence, it's pandemonium. Um, it's May Day, where uh, everything this is the last of the three Imbolc, Ostera, and Beltane are all fertility festivals, and that's the last one, it's the heyday. Uh, Litha, or Midsummer, occurs uh, 19th. Uh, to the 21st, that's the summer solstice. Uh, Lamas time or Luknach is August 1st. You probably never heard of many of these, have you? Okay. Mayban or the autumnal equinox is the 21st to 24th of September, usually around the 23rd is when the equinox actually occurs. And now the last one is it looks like it should be pronounced Samhain, it's not, it's pronounced Sawan. And this is what we know as Halloween, and it is the last of the harvest uh, festivals that we have. These are the eight Sabbaths, again, go figure, eight Sabbaths, uh, on the Wiccan calendar. And they're at the high points around the, uh, the, the year. So it's called the Wheel of Heaven because it shows you the cycles of time in the heavens as we go around the, the year. Interestingly enough, you would think that the major high points would be the solstices and the equinoxes, right? No. Those are the minor holidays. The major holidays are the ones that occur at the cross-corner points. The cross-corner points, of course, are, see if I can get this right, Imbolc, Beltane, Lamas Time, and Samhain. Those are the four major or the four high holy days in the, the satanic calendar. And that's what we need to be aware of. So the the equinoxes and the um, solstices turn out to be minor relative to the others. Here are the different festival names, the actual names of them. And now I want you to notice something. There's a lot of similarity with stuff that we know here as well. For example, oops, wrong one. Okay, here we go. Okay, um, here's Yule, Midwinter. Uh, Winter rule, this is of course uh, the Christmas time and all the things that go along this one. This is Samheim, this is Halloween, it's the last blood or harvest festival. This is the ancestor night, when the veil between the living and the dead is supposed to be the thinnest. It is the feast of the dead, they offer sacrifices to the dead. This is the Gaelic festival for it. Uh, The one we'll be focusing on here in just a few moments is the Candlemas or Embaloc. Uh, also known as Oi Milk, Oi Milk, from the actual word, it means uh, sheep's milk is what it means in the bread. It's known also for Brigit, the goddess of this day, uh, Brigid's Day, Brida's Day, Brigantia in her uh, armored warrior form. The vernal equinox is Ostara, Lady Day, um, Festival of Trees, huh? Like groves, for example. Um, then we have Beltane, as I said, this is May Day, and it is the, the, the Maypole and the dancing around it and the, all the parafix symbols that go along with it. Um, Midsummer, Litha, uh, Mother Night, the longest day is celebrated. Lammas time is the first harvest. Notice it is a bread harvest. It is a festival of first fruits. Notice how that's basically just a counterfeit or an imitation of other things that we know. Then we've got the autumnal uh, equinox. Mabon is this known for. It's, a, it's the major harvest. It's the second harvest. It is the fruit harvest and the wine harvest. This is harvest home. We sing about harvest home in some of our songs. Well, here's where it comes from. It's the autumnal equinox. Okay, so what is emblock? Embok, Pronounced embok or emblock. It's called Oymaleg, I can't pronounce these, Uh, the Druids have more letters in it than I know what to do with. Uh, By the Druids is a festival of the lactating sheep. What happens is the sheep have been pregnant during the winter and they are now fully pregnant and their wounds are swollen. They're about to give birth. Their milk is coming down and it's filling uh, the teats, and, and here we have the herd animals, either are given birth to the first uh, offspring of the year, the wombs are swollen, the milk of life is flowing in, in the udders and it is the time of the blessing of the seeds and the co- consecration of agricultural tomb. It marks the center point of the dark half of the year. Notice what it is. It is the Festival of the Maiden. The Festival of the Maiden. And from that point until March 21st, this is her time for, uh, glorifi- uh, for increasing in glory. Breedin- Brigid is the maiden here, but guess what Catholicism did? They made this a worship of Mary, and this made- becomes a purification of Mary, supposedly, after the birth of Christ back in December. Uh-huh. Yeah. Now, notice this one also, Brigid's snake emerges from the womb of Mother Earth to test the weather. And this is the origin of the Groundhog Day. And in many places, the first crocus fellers begin to sprout forth from the earth. Okay. Uh, the maiden, this is again Brigad, is honored as the bride on this Sabbath. Straw, brigados, corn dolly. Corn dollies are like, uh, take shucks of corn or corn husk or things of like this nature and they twist them and the dollies tie them down. Looks kind of like a voodoo doll. It's kind of like a voodoo doll. Okay? Uh, created from uh, wheat or oat straw and placed in basket with little white flower bedding. Young girls then carry around these little baskets. Carry around little baskets door to door. Um, and ask for gifts. Uh, and then people place tr- uh, treats in, in there. Uh, young girls then carry the basket door to door. Gifts are bestowed upon the image from each household. Afterward, at the traditional feast, the older women... Uh, make special acorn wands. This is a wand with an acorn on the tip of it, and you are blessed with this priapic symbol. Okay. Uh, and uh, the wand, look, um, let's see, the older woman makes special acorn wands for the dollars to hold in the morning. The ashes in the hearth, uh, hearth are examined to see if the magic wands left any marks. As a good omen, brigand crosses are also, they're again, Celtic crosses. They're corn crosses that have been formed for protection and good luck and this sort of thing are fashioned from wheat stalks and emerge as symbols of protection and prosperity for the coming year. The home hearth uh, fires are put out and then relit. And a besom, a besom is a witch's broom, uh, is placed in, by the front door to symbolize sweeping out the old and welcoming in the new. It's a house cleaning ceremony, a counterfeit of the Days of Unleavened Bread. Okay. Um, candles are lit and they place in each room of the house to honor the rebirth of the sun. Where we heard rebirth of the sun before? Okay, it's also known as candle mass and all these different things. Let's see some of the items. The colors, white, silver, pale, yellow. Notice the deities, a virgin or child goddess. Gods as young men or boys. Um, I'll hold on just a moment. Uh, Different herbs, basil, bay, bay, uh, benzoin, um, uh, maybe burn, angelica, myrrh, um, yellow, white flowers used as altar decorations. Look at this one. Yes, here we go. Amalek is the, the Sabbath which honors the goddess as the waiting bride of the returning sun god before the Nordic influence. It was the Sabbath in which the Celts saw the sun as being born anew. In Ireland it was and still is a special day to honor the goddess Brida or Brig, or Brigit uh, in, in her guise of the bride. The modern Irish know it as St. Bridget's Day, St. Bridget being vaguely this, a vaguely disguised and Christianized version of the pagan goddess. Notice this one. The Imbach corn doll represents the mother nurturing her son who will grow and become her husband. Okay. Does that sound familiar? It should. It's the old Simuramus Tammuz tale. Come back to haunt us again. The same stories that we have heard that have plagued Israel from the beginning of time show up here in Brigid's day as well. You're familiar with the Tammuz uh, and Semiramis story, of course. This is the um, wife-mother of this god uh, who was supposedly reborn in the form of an evergreen tree or this uh, <coughs> tradition It comes back here as well. So who is Brigid? Brigitte is a Celtic triple goddess, a triune goddess. Huh? A triune goddess. Ruling, he- healing, poetry, and smithcraft, like uh, the uh, fires, uh, uh, iron, war- uh, blacksmith, and, and uh, silversmith and the like. She is one of the great, great mothers of the Celts. The Celts had many other mother goddesses, including Danu and Morrigan. Variant forms of her name include Breed. Brida, uh, Brigit, Brigid, pronounced either breed with, with a soft G sound. She's also known as Brigantia in her armor or warrior form. Uh, Brigandia, uh, Brigadu, her Welsh name is Fry. How do you pronounce two Fs? Uh, f- f- fry. Her modern name is Brigit or Bridget, as derived for her Christianization into Saint Bridget. Her name, Brigid, thought to be derived from Brat, in Sanskrit is originally an epithet meaning exalted one. Exalted one. The Romans equated Brigid with Minerva and she can be similarly equated with the Greek Athena. Equi- effectively she is a, an amalgam of all the mother maiden goddesses in, uh, throughout the uh, Mediterranean world. She's Semiramis, and Ishtar,te uh, uh, Ishtar, and Astarte, and she's Isis, she's Nut, she's uh, Minerva, she's Athena, she's Diana of Ephesus, she is Hera, she is Juno, she is all of these different mother goddesses rolled into one in the Celtic version thereof. Okay. Um, Brigid is best known for her association with healing poetry in Smithcraft. As a healing goddess, she governs childbirth and the birthing time. She was highly regarded as a healing goddess and can be seen in the numerous healing wells that are dedicated to her all over Ireland. There's a reason that it's in Ireland, too. Uh, As a goddess of poetry, she governs not only the inspiration and writing of poetry, but also divination and prophecy. Huh. And as a goddess of smithcraft, she governs the forge's fire. So she's a goddess of fire. It is for these reasons that she's considered bright goddess, bringer of light. Have you heard that phrase before? And is associated with the element of fire. In all of her forms. she brings one inspiration of fire quality. She brings to one inspiration a fire quality and provides the spark for motivation. Her fire associations are so strong that a perpetual fire was set at Kildare in her honor. The fire still burns there today. She also became the goddess of the hearth fire, the fire of the home, and since she she contains the mother and fire aspect as goddess of the hearth, she is equated to the Greco-Roman Hestia Vesta, that's Hera or Juno. Okay, like many pagan holidays, M. Block has a Celtic connection. It wasn't always celebrated this way. I'm not going to read all of this, but here's the idea. Um, Oops, wrong one, back up. Okay, to honor her, purification and cleansing are a wonderful way of getting ready for the coming of spring. In addition to fire, she's a goddess connected with inspiration and creativity. See that? Purification and cleansing. Like the days of unleavened bread and searching out all the old, uh, old leaven. Well, here we have put, put that notion of purification right on top of Mary's purification, supposedly after the, the 40 days after uh, the birth of Christ, supposedly in, at Yule. Our right, brigad is known as a triune goddess, meaning she is one and three simultaneously. That's a trinity doctrine if there ever were one. Early Celts celebrated purification festival by honoring Brigid. Mm-hmm. Uh, the name meant Bright One. In some parts of the Scottish Highlands, Brigid was viewed as a colleague, a woman with mystical powers who was the older than the land itself. Older than the land itself. Brigid was a warlike figure, Brigantia, in the uh, Brigantine's tribe near Engine, England, the Uh, Christian St. Brigid was the daughter of a Pictish slave who was baptized by St. Patrick and founded a community of nuns at Kildare, Ireland, and there are no males at that um, um, outpost there at all. By the way, uh, St. Brigid is second only to St. Patrick in Irish lore. Uh, In modern Wicca and paganism, Brigid is viewed as the maiden aspect of the maiden-mother-crone cycle. She walks the earth, and this cycle regenerates over and over as the year cycle goes on. She walks the earth on the eve of her day before going to bed. Each member of the household should leave a piece of clothing outside for Brigid to to bless. Mother your fire is the last thing you do that night, and rake the ashes smooth. When you get up in the morning, look for a mark on the ashes as a sign that Brigid has passed over that way in the night or morning. The clothes are brought inside and now have the powers of healing and protection thanks to Brigid." Sound familiar? This is pre-corruption, Matthew. Okay, the holidays also call St. Brigid Day in honor of the great, uh, let's see, let's skip, 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 skip. Uh, she's known for, noted for, um, Uh, patron father, uh, she's goddess of fire, patroness of Smith, poetry and healing, especially the healing touch of midwifery. This is a tripart symbolism, uh, 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 occasionally expressed by saying that Brigid had two sisters also named Brigid. It's like, you know, the guy who invented Murphy's Law didn't really invent Murphy's Law, but it was invented by another guy with the same name. Incidentally, another form of her name, Brigitte, is Brida. Thus, she uh, bestows her special patronage on any women uh, about to be married or hand-fasted in... This is a um, uh, Wiccan artist uh, interpretation of what... Brida looks like. Here's her warrior form uh, as brigantia. There's the Brigid cross that we have in the process. There's the U's that are associated with her. Uh, there's the the wands that are uh, associated. The Roman Catholic Church could not very easily call the great goddess of Ireland a demon. So what'd they do? The natural thing that a Borg would do, assimilate, assimilate. So it assimilates the... the uh, the emblems of M block, and turns it into candle mass, a new um, Roman uh, holiday. Henceforth, she would be saint Brigitte, patron saint of Smithcraft poetry and healing. Notice, didn't change what she governs. Still the, she's still goddess of what? Smithcraft poetry and healing, just like she was as the Celtic goddess. They explained this by telling the Irish peasant that Brigitte was really an early Christian missionary sent to the Emerald Isle and that the miracles she performed there misled the common people into believing that she was a goddess. She wasn't really a goddess. That's their explanation. Okay? Advancing the lie that Jesus was born at Yule, the Roman Catholic Church turned m into Candle Mass in honor of the purification of Mary about 40 days after the alleged birth of Christ, superimposing the celebration of one virgin mother on top of an existing similar pagan celebration, a brigad, the Celtic Maiden Mother Goddess. Candle Mass then became a precursor for Valentine's Day because this whole festival just blended together. And, and it's fertility rituals rising out of the old Roman fest, feast of the Lupercalia. Are you familiar with the Lupercalia? And in the Roman times, the, um, the, the priests would, they would sacrifice goats on the top of a mountain and take the strips of goats, uh, uh, hide, and, and go around and sh- popping the young ladies on their bare buttocks as a symbol of fertility for the upcoming year. It was also to ward against uh, uh, wolves, hence the word Lupercalia from it as well. Okay, all right. Uh, So, why? I know you're asking me, oh, Reg, this is all very interesting, but why in the world are you bringing this to us? Well, here's why. God condemns it. God condemns it outright. There's a condemnation of the worship of the Queen of Heaven. We find it in Jeremiah 7, verses 13 through 20. I can't read from there. Okay. Um, Now, because you have done these works, says the Lord, I spake unto you, rising up early and speaking, but you heard not, and I called you, and you answered not. Therefore I will do unto this house which is called by my name, wherein you trust, and unto the place which I gave to you and to your fathers as I have done to Shiloh. I will cast you out of my sight, as I have cast out all your brethren, even the whole seed of Ephraim. Therefore pray not for this people, he's speaking to Jeremiah now, Pray not for this people, uh, neither lift not our cry prayer for them, neither make intercession to me, for I will not hear thee. See sound what not what they do in the cities of Judah, in the streets of Jerusalem? Look at this, and I've gotten read. The children gather wood, and the, fire's, the father's kinder of fire, fire the goddess, and the woman knead the dough for the little cakes. And make cakes to the queen of heaven. And pour out drink offerings to other gods. That they may provoke me to anger. Do they provoke me to anger? Says the Lord. Do they not provoke themselves to confusion of their own faces? Okay. Thus says the Lord God. Behold, my anger and my fury shall be poured out upon this place. Upon man, upon beast, upon the trees of the field, upon the fruit of the ground. And it shall burn and shall not be quenched. You would think they would learn, right? Nah. Not ancient Israel. Turn to Jeremiah 44, starting in verse 15. Then all the men which knew their wives had burned incense, uh, knew knew, knew that their wives had burned incense to the other gods, and all the women that stood by, a great multitude, a great multitude, even all the people that dwelt in the land of Egypt and in Patras, uh, answered Jeremiah, saying, As for the the word that thou hast spoken unto us in the name of the Lord, we will not hearken unto thee, but we will certainly do whatsoever thing that goeth forth out of our own mouth to burn incense to the Queen of Heaven, to pour out our drink offerings to her, as we have done, and we and our fathers and our kings and our princes in the city of Judah in the streets of Jerusalem. Then, for then we had plenty of victuals and were well and saw no evil. But since we left off to burn incense to the Queen of Heaven and to pour out drink offerings unto her, we have wanted all things. We have been consumed by the sword and the famine. So they're saying, since we stopped worshipping the Queen of Heaven, things have been going bad. So we're going to go back and start working. We're not going to pay attention to what you're saying. Okay? And when we burned incense to the queen of heaven and poured out our drink offerings unto her, did we, make her uh, did we make her cakes to worship her and pour out her drink offerings unto her without our men? Then Jeremiah said to all the people and to the men, and to the women, and to all the people that gave him that answer, saying, The incense that you burned in the cities of Judah, in the streets of Jerusalem, you and your fathers, your kings, your princes, the people of the land, did not the Lord remember them and came it not into his mind? Moreover, uh, Jeremiah said to the people and to all the women, hear the word of the land, word of the Lord, and all Judah that are in the land of Egypt. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel saying, you and your wives have both spoken with your mouths and fulfilled with your hands saying, we will surely perform our vows that we have vowed to burn incense to the queen of heaven and to pour out drink offerings unto her. You will surely accomplish your vows, surely perform your vows. Therefore, hear you the word of the Lord. All Judah! Oops, back up. Uh-oh. It stopped. Okay, Brian, I, I goofed. Can you help me out? It went out. Okay. Quick review. <laughs> okay, good. All right. Thank you, oh, what, Okay. Uh, all right. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel say, You your wives, you've said that you will perform your vow. Hear the word of the Lord. Uh, all of Judah dwell in the land of Egypt, I have sworn by my great name, says the Lord, that my name shall be no more named in the mouth of any man in Judah, and all the land of Egypt, say, The Lord God liveth. Behold, I will watch over them for evil and not for good. In other words, he's going to bring about evil uh, upon them, because they are in, in idolatrous worship. And all the men of Judah that are in the land of Egypt shall be consumed by the sword and by the famine, and there shall be an end of them. Yes, a small number of them shall escape the sword and shall return out of the land of Egypt into the land of Judah. And all the remnant of Judah that are gone into the land of Egypt to sojourn there shall know the, whose words shall stand, mine or theirs. This shall be a sign unto you, says the Lord, that I will punish you in this place. Notice, they're not going to take them away. You're going to punish them in this place. We're <coughs> right where they are that I will punish you in this place, that you may know that my words are, shall surely stand against you for evil. All right, so why should we be, we be concerned? It is clearly idolatry. We are doing service to the Queen of Heaven by honoring Groundhog Day. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's an innocent version of it. It doesn't even look like it's the same thing that it originally came from. It doesn't look like the servers sing of the Queen of Heaven, but that's the transformations that have happened over the years. It is perpetuating and forwarding other lies, like the birth of Christ in uh, Christmas, which is we know to be a lie. Okay, it it, it forwards the idea of a triune goddess reinforcing the notion of the trinity it reinforces the idea of a reincarnation we've got the Tammuz uh, Simiramis um, incestuous relationship that exists between um, For Tammuz had a Simiramis as his mother wife and she loved him and bore his own children which is an, uh, no edible thing as well it is uh, a counterfeit holy day and it is again to use Matthew's phrase that I like so well, it is pre-corruption. This happened long before our modern era. So we are pre-corrupted, if you will, for uh, to be predisposed to looking at this sympathetically. And as a result, we miss all the connections that are made. But did you see them? Did you see all the counterfeits that were there in the, in the whole pattern? Be aware be alert. We must know our enemy. So I brought you this today so that you might know that there's a whole lot more going on than just an innocent groundhog.